Well, we are in the middle of a difficult and yet a crucial conversation, asking the question, how should the church respond to some of the racial tension that has resurfaced and some of the division and discrimination that has been re-exposed in this season? We believe heaven and history are both watching and taking note of how the church chooses to show up to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus, especially to those who are experiencing the pains of injustice or the pains of inequality. And we acknowledge that we may not have all the answers, but we must continue the conversation. We may not fix it, but we must engage it. We, we may not get everything right, but we must try. And so we're wrestling through this. Where do we even begin engaging and addressing some of the pain and some of the division and some of the racial tension in our nation. And as I was wrestling through some of that question, my mind was brought back to one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells in all of his ministry. And it's found in Luke chapter 10. If you have a copy of the Bible, I'd encourage you to meet me there. Uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to just I think find some principles that might help us as we start this journey together in playing our part in representing Jesus in a season like this. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So th this guy who spent the majority of his life studying the finer points of the Old Testament figures, you know, what's the point of knowing all this stuff if everyone doesn't know that I know it? And so he baits Jesus into a debate by asking Jesus a question. He hopes Jesus won't be able to answer. And then he'll step in, answer the question, and everybody will be awed by how much he knows. And the question is, if I want to live forever and be right with God, which of the laws should I keep? Ooh, tough question. By the way, this question would have mattered immensely to those who were listening in uh, because for the Jews, they had hundreds and hundreds of laws that they had to keep. And by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, the religious leaders had added hundreds and hundreds more laws and rules for them to keep. And before long, the, the, the Jewish people started to struggle with this intense paranoia. Like I, I went over to someone's house and, and, and I ate something and I wonder if I violated rule number 383. And while I was helping my mom carry groceries in, I, I may have violated rule number 455. And now I'm a little bit anxious that I may be denied access and may be held on the outskirts of heaven because of something I did wrong. 
And so this question would have mattered of all of the hundreds and hundreds of rules, which one matters most to God? If I'm going to experience life, if I am going to experience paradise with God forever and ever and ever. So Jesus, you're a legit teacher. So sort through the hundreds of laws and tell us which law matters most to God. And you can imagine this religious expert's like, I know what it is, but I want to know, do you know what it is. And I love Jesus. Jesus is, is not interested in some, you know, popularity contest. He just gives the guy the moment. Like, dude, you win. The stage is yours. You're the expert. You tell us, right? Jesus says in verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And this guy's like, okay, I mean, I, I don't want to show off, but since you brought it up, <laughs> here it is. This is the big one. Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Woo! Ha <laughs> ha! Got it, right? The expert comes through and gives Jesus the correct answer, and Jesus has no problem affirming him because of it. That's accurate. Verse 28, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. The hundreds and hundreds of laws can be summed up in this one law of laws, in this rule of rules, in this command of commands. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Love God with all of yourself and love your neighbor as you do yourself and you will live. But then it's almost as though this religious expert experiences a wave of <laughs> disappointment as you read this story because he came for an argument and he didn't get one. Wait, so Jesus, you agree with me? Yep. Hmm. So that's what you're saying? Yep. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. Yep. All right then. All right. And he's not happy because when you come for a fight, and when it is so important to you to be right, agreement is of no interest to you. So he goes in for round two. Woo, big mistake. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who, pray tell, is my 
neighbor. Jesus, let's parse this word neighbor because, you know, um, you know, who do who do I technically need to love as I love myself? There's a lot of debate among us scholars and there's a lot of discrepancy around this term neighbor. So what do you mean when you use the term neighbor? Um, this is really, really interesting. And by the way, I was ready to kind of just read past this and move on to the good parts of the story. And it's almost as if the Spirit of God stopped me and drew my attention to something I had never thought to ask in this story so far. It jumped out at me. And here was the question that struck me. Why does someone who is correct feel the need to justify himself? I mean, you saw that. He's right. Why would someone who is biblically accurate feel personally defensive? Hmm. Just because you agree with Jesus does not mean he approves of you. You can biblically be on the same page as Jesus and be personally on opposing sides. That struck me and it sent a chill through my bones. This guy got defensive when Jesus called him to act on what he agreed with. He got defensive because he wasn't doing what he knew. Jesus said to him, do it and then you live. And by the way, the insinuation is don't do it and you won't. Love your neighbor and you live. But if you don't, you won't. Man, in this season of racial tension and division, it struck me, Jesus will not care what we agree with him about if we don't act on what we know. In this season, history and heaven will not care how much we agree with Jesus if we don't act on what it is that we know. And I fear that the church has been way too content to talk about what we believe to be biblically accurate. And we get in our pulpits and we get on our social media platforms and we debate 
accuracy. Turns out, history may not care as much about our biblical accuracy as we might like to think. Agreeing with Jesus, turns out, is not the goal. I don't know if you've thought about this, but everybody agrees with Jesus about something. Ask the demons, by the way. They agree with Jesus all the time. History and heaven are saying, act on it. Ooh, ooh, I know, I know, I know this one. I know this one. Racism is wrong. Agreed. And action. I ought to love my neighbor regardless of their color, regardless of their cultural background. And all of heaven says, agreed. And action. The Bible says to pursue justice, to pursue justice. I know this one, agreed. And action. It struck me in rereading this story that, listen, history and heaven are not going to be as concerned with how much we agree with Jesus if we don't act on what it is we know. Jesus says, do it and you will live. And I'm a little bit anxious that in the church we may not have as much life as we may like to think based on what Jesus says. Now, don't get me wrong. We must be biblically accurate. But accuracy without action, honestly, it's just anarchy. We're just disregarding God's greatest of laws when it comes to loving our neighbor. Act on the accuracy and you will live. And I think this was the perfect opportunity for this guy to repent. This, this was the perfect moment for this guy to say to Jesus, you know what? I haven't lived what I say I believe. I've not acted on what it is I know. Would you forgive me? And Jesus would have readily forgiven him, but instead he opted to justify himself. Instead of turning and repenting, he opted to defend himself. And I think there's a similar moment for the church, an invitation to acknowledge the ways that we've not acted to help our brothers and sisters of color who are saying, help us. We are experiencing injustice. We are experiencing the pains of discrimination. Would you help us? There is an opportunity for us to maybe pause for a moment and say, maybe we've not acted on what we know we are called to do when it comes to loving our 
neighbors. But many of us, like this expert, are so quick to defend ourselves. I mean, technically, <laughs> what's racism? You know, it's such, an, it's such a complex issue. Um, there's much debate and, you know, there's much discrepancy around it. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not racist. Whoa, 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 are you suggesting I'm racist? I'm not racist. And so therefore, uh, I don't know what this has to do with me. Instead of asking, where have I not acted on my biblical accuracy that knows I'm called to pursue justice? for my brothers and sisters around me. Jesus graciously answers this guy's question, the question he asked about who his neighbor is by giving a poignant picture of what it looks like to live the law of love. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Um, Jesus doesn't identify this man, but we figure out through the course of the story that he is a Jewish man, a man of Jewish descent, a man of Jewish heritage, a man of Jewish ethnicity. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell us why he's taking this trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, um, whether it's business or pleasure or he's running an errand for his family or it's maybe on some religious pilgrimage. Uh, but what we do know is that this road, Jerusalem to Jericho, was incredibly treacherous. This thing was unbelievably steep. Over the course of his 18-mile walk, he would have descended about half a mile in elevation. It was that steep walking down. And the majority of the road were these meandering, winding turns with a lot of blind curves on it, with cliffs on one side and these rock formations on the other. It was a treacherous road to travel. And so it naturally became the best spot for robbers to set up ambush for their targets. They would hide in the rocks and then they would ambush whoever it was and escape back into the desert without any trace. So when Jesus starts telling the story, this man traveling on this treacherous road, his hearers would have immediately started to suspect this is probably not going to end very well. And uh, they were right. Um, you know, Jesus says that, man, this guy meets an incredibly unfortunate fate. Um, these robbers jump him and, and they strip him of everything he has, including his clothes. And for good measure, they beat this guy and beat this guy to a bloody pulp and leave him on the side of the road, bleeding and alone to die. Jesus says in verse 31, a priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, 
he passed by on the other side. Now Jesus' hearers are surprised. Whoa, 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 we are not surprised that this guy got ambushed and left to die on the side of the road, but a priest, come on, a priest just walked by and didn't help him? There's no way he knows better than that. Uh, a priest would have been a, a, a Jewish man who, who worked in the temple, um, understood the scripture, and not just understood it, but taught the scripture to God's people. But more than that, the, the priest was the person who represented God to the people and represented the people to God. If God had something to say to his people, you would expect that it would come through the priest. And if, if people had sacrifices to offer, the priest would be the one who carried those out. The priest was God's representative to the people and for the people. And Jesus says this priest, this representative of God, sees the beaten and bloody and broken man in his path, and he goes out of his way. He crosses the road to avoid him and continues along his path. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite would have been a Jewish man who worked in the temple to assist the priest in his responsibilities to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. Oh, the crowd would have been shocked. There is no way a priest and his assistant and the Levite, they both saw this man broken and bleeding alone on the side of the road, and you were telling me they avoided him and walked on the other side? That's fiction. They know better. They wouldn't do something like this. Can you feel Jesus making his point? Heaven doesn't care what you know if you don't act on it. Then Jesus escalates the story emotionally by introducing a racial dynamic. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, boo, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now the crowd's just baffled. No way, no way, no way. Our priests, our Levite, they didn't, but a Samaritan? Come on, Jesus, this is fiction. There is no way this is a real story. And for anyone who knows the, 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 the truth and the teaching of the Bible, the Jews hated the Samaritan race. They, they called them dogs and half-breed and mistreated them any opportunity they could. The Jews would walk three extra days around Samaritan territory just to avoid contact. They hated the Samaritans and they mistreated the Samaritans. So when Jesus said a Samaritan came by, you would expect the crowd would think, well, obviously, what's coming next is this guy. He's going to finish him off. 
For all the years you've oppressed us. For all the years you've hurt us. I am, you got what you deserve. And I'm going to finish you off for my people. And Jesus says, that's not what happened. The crowd would have been shocked by the turn of events. Verse 34 says, he, the Samaritan, went to him. That's beautiful. And bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. In the coming weeks, I want us to explore what does it look like for us to enter in and act on behalf of those who are broken and wounded and mistreated and oppressed in our path. But Jesus says the Samaritan enters in and does what he can to help this hurting man and refuses to move on or to leave it alone until he knows things are better for him. Then Jesus turns back to the accuracy expert. Remember this guy? And he asks him in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. History and heaven are watching how the church will respond in this season of racial tension and discrimination and injustice. And the question is, what will we do? The question is not, what do we think? The question is not, what do we know? The question is, what will we do? Because a good neighbor is the one who enters in and acts on behalf of the hurting person in their path and ensures that life ends up a little bit better for them. I want to say a couple of things uh, that struck me from this story as I reread it. Uh, first, I want to say something about the priest. I reread this story, and um, in light of the season we're in, 
could not help but think, we are the priest. The church of Jesus is the priest in this story. It occurred to me like, wait a minute, we are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. We are the royal priesthood. We are the ones called to be God's representatives to people and for people. We are the priesthood. This is, this is us. We are called to paint a picture of what God is like in the world around us. And then I, I, I also noticed something about this, this moment, because I reread this story, and I couldn't help but picture God grabbing his church, his priesthood, by the heart and walking us down this road of racial division and discrimination where people are broken and writhing in pain as a result of years and years of discrimination and injustice and telling us, I want you to look at this and I want you to try again. Try again. Represent me in their pain. That is who you are. You are my representatives to the hurting and to the broken and to the mistreated. And I think we have, we've abdicated our responsibility as a church to care for those who are broken and, and those who are bleeding from a variety of things, including racial discrimination, racial injustice, which is the thing before us right now. And instead, we've just kept walking. I mean, we're accurate in our theology. Don't get me wrong. We're accurate and we're learning more about the Bible, but we have kept walking. And I'm no prophet. I cannot say God said to me, but I, I have this deep sense. God is saying to us, you don't get to keep walking by. Try again. Represent me in their pain. I also noticed a cadence in this story, in the lives of these real men. I don't know if you saw this, but I noticed the phrase repeated for each of these men. And it was the phrase, when he saw, when he saw. Again, I can't help but believe heaven and history only pull out the parchment to start recording after they see the broken man in the road. I don't think heaven is necessarily noting what we don't see, but it's noting what we do after we see. When he saw the man, 
when he saw the man. There is something powerful happening in this season. Listen, there are eras in the past where you maybe, perhaps, maybe have the opportunity to say, I, I didn't know. I've never seen. I wasn't aware that there was racial tension and division. I didn't know that people of color experienced brutal pain in light of discrimination, in light of injustice. I, I didn't know. But now, oh, now, now you see. Now you see. There was a time when we could have said we, we, we didn't know that these things happened. But in our era of technology and in our era, era of water war coverage, we've not just heard about somebody getting hunted and gunned down while he was running. We've seen it. We haven't just heard whispers about somebody dying in the streets with a knee on his neck. Oh, now we've seen it. And heaven and history are pulling out the parchment because, oh, now you see. When he saw the man, when they saw the pain, when they saw the discrimination, when they heard the cries. Now, heaven is taking note. And the church came down the road of racial agony and discrimination with people of color writhing in pain. They saw them. The question is, what will we do now that we see? Jesus says, represent your God. Enter in. Be a neighbor. Do what you know. Okay, how? How? What does that mean? Which is what we want to continue to wrestle through, as messy as it may be, we want to continue to wrestle through that. How do we enter in? How do we act on what we know? Um, start with compassion. Start with compassion. When the Samaritan saw the Jewish man in agony, broken and bleeding on the road, Jesus says he took pity on him. Mm. What a powerful thing. The, the, the word pity, which is the, the word uh, compassion, is not a patronizing word that thinks, oh, you poor thing, bless your heart. No, this is a gut-wrenching, emotional word that chooses to say, oh, my God. In a different set of circumstances, that could have been me. 
Compassion is entering in and saying, oh my God, what if that were me? It is the art of putting yourself in someone else's experience and asking the question, what would I feel like if I were experiencing what you're experiencing right now? What would that be like for me? What would I desire if I were in your situation? Compassion. Compassion. Ask yourself, what would I feel if that were my dad? on the side of the road, begging for breath. What would I feel if that were my son hunted and gunned down while going for a run? What would I feel? What would that experience be like for me? And I'm just telling you right now, if that was my son, I don't think I would be as concerned primarily, initially. I don't think I would be as concerned with, well, how did they get there? What, what was going on before that? My heart would break. If that was my son, I wouldn't be asking, well, you know, why was he walking down this road? I mean, doesn't this guy know Jerusalem to Jericho is a treacherous road? In fact, I heard somebody warned him that he shouldn't do that. So come on, man. We avoid them and we keep going. Come on, I'm begging you. If that was your son, if that was your mother, if those were your siblings, what kinds of questions would you ask? What would you do? How would you feel? And I'm just telling you, even if I knew that my son had a habit of dumb decisions, that wouldn't lessen my pain. I, I would still be grieving painfully in that moment. I think Jesus would tell us, start with compassion. If the church starts anywhere else, but compassion, we will struggle to represent God in this season. I fear that the church is starting with defensiveness. I'm not racist. What? None of the people I know are racist, so um, um, I, I, don't, I don't know. If I enter in and I start to engage this and it almost admits that I'm racist and uh, I can't, I don't want to admit, I don't want people to think I'm racist. I don't want people to think that, that I agree that I'm part of the problem. So excuse me while I cross the street and walk by and heaven has the parchment out. Okay, so you're not a robber. But what might it be like to be robbed? Start with compassion. What might it be like to even think you have been robbed? 
start with compassion instead of defensiveness. I fear the church is starting with denial. I don't know. I mean, all I saw was, you know, a guy on the road bleeding, claiming to have been ambushed by robbers. But do we really know? I mean, is there really precise and accurate evidence that that's what really happened to him? Ah, I don't know. So excuse me while I cross the street and I keep going because I don't see any robbers. Um, I don't see the racial injustices. I don't see any racial d discrimination. I, I don't see it. I, I mean, I hear all this whining and I hear all this whimpering and I hear all this writhing in pain, but I don't really see it. Maybe they're hurting, but not for the reasons they say. So, you know, I, I just, um, I, I can't enter in. And we keep walking. And I think Jesus would say, start with compassion. I fear that the church is starting with, with downplaying. Um, yeah, but how about the pain they're causing? I appreciate that, what happened, but, you know, okay, that aside. But how about the pain that, 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 that they're causing? So uh, it's hard for me to, to enter in because I, I want to first start with compassion. And I fear that, and that's been so personally wounding because if we can point out the pain that they're causing now, then we don't have to deal with the pain that they've experienced for centuries. How about the pain that they're causing? And I will say it over and over, there is no excuse for burning businesses or, or for looting or for lashing out at innocent people. No excuse for that. But if you think that heaven will allow you to use that as an excuse for not entering in and starting with compassion, You've misunderstood the heart of Jesus. I fear that the church is starting with demonizing. Um, well, what was, he, what was he doing walking alone? Anyway, um, and uh, well, you know, we found his rap sheet. It turns out this guy had actually committed a few crimes a couple of months ago before he started walking down this path. And so, you know, this is not a good guy. This is not a good guy bleeding on the side of the road. So, I mean, we would enter in, but he's a bad guy. So that gives us every justification to walk on the other side and keep going. And heaven is saying, oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. Okay, yeah, you guys don't have to worry about it then. And we really believe that's how heaven will evaluate our response. Because we demonized somebody or we demonized a group of people. Well, did you know that that movement actually technically has some issues that we disagree with? So therefore, we're exempt. What if it's an ambush? You know, in fact, this could be a trap. And if we get involved, then we're going to find ourselves... Jesus would invite us to lead with compassion. Uh, put yourself in somebody's shoes and ask what it would be like. And hear me out. 
if you cannot put yourself in someone else's experience, then reach out to someone who you know is hurting or may be hurting and ask them to help you to see. Some of the most meaningful things I've had in the last week is a friend of mine took me out to lunch and he said, I have so many questions and I'm so confused and I'm so agitated by so many things, but mainly, tell me what this experience is like for you. And I in turn got to say, tell me what this experience is like for you. And this individual said to me, I just want to better understand. I got a note from a lady this morning who said, I've listened to a lot of things and I've listened to a lot of you know, news and I've read a lot of different things. And I just want to say, I'm so sorry for what your kids have had to experience. She's never experienced it, and she has never one time mistreated my kids. But she is a mother. And so she asked the question, what might it be like if my kids had to hear all of those instructions when they ran outside their home? If you're not sure what it looks like to put yourself in someone's shoes, ask Invite the conversation and then listen. Listen. Um, I've been moved by the peaceful protests because this is a, a, a number of people who are saying, we don't fully get it, but we see your pain and we want to meet you there to better understand and to better speak with you and to stand with you. It's just been so beautiful. Start with compassion. If you have not started there, then start over. If you don't start with compassion, it's going to be very difficult for you to represent the heart of God. Um, I disagree with that. I don't think that's accurate. No, it's going to be very hard for you to represent the heart of a God who so loved the world. Not evaluated the world, not incriminated the world, not accused the world, not denied that the world was broken. Not, he so loved the world. That's what he led with that he gave. And aren't you glad he didn't start with your background? And aren't you glad that he didn't start with your story and pulling up your rap sheet and finding all the reasons why he shouldn't love and enter in. We, we want to talk uh, because this story gives us some concrete steps for things that we can do if we're going to represent Jesus in our world. But the, the, the heaviness, the burden on my heart was to invite us to, to start with compassion. And if you've not asked the question, what might it be like for people of color in our country who are expressing deep pain then I think we will miss the moment to represent God. Even if eventually that means we correct some things that are inaccurate. Even if eventually we address some things that aren't right. Start with compassion. For our God so loved the world that he gave. 
And he not only put himself in our shoes, church, he put himself in our skin. To start with, compassion. He wasn't a sinner, but he became sin. He wasn't an oppressor, but he entered to the experience of the oppressed. And I'm telling you, we are most like him and we love like him when we start with compassion and simply put ourselves into the experience of someone else. And for me, as a black man, I want to ask, what must it be like as a white person feeling like you're getting lumped in, I want to know that. What must it be like as a law enforcement officer listening to people chanting, defund the police? What must that be like? Because entering in is not just for one race and not another race. It is for all of us. But the question always begins with who's on the side of the road, beaten and bloody and broken. And that's where we want to begin to enter in. We have a moment before us, and history and heaven are not going to care what we know or what we believe. They are noting what we did, and I'm begging us to start with compassion. Father, I, I just pause right now and confess that in so many ways, I've started with evaluation and defensiveness and, and attacking and speaking instead of listening. And I pray for my own heart and I pray for the hearts of your church that we would start by repenting. If there are ways that we have not acted on what we agree with you about, Lord, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. Spirit of the living God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us a fresh sense of heaven's compassion, the compassion that our God had on us while we were broken. Even when we were wrong and didn't deserve it, you still entered in with love and compassion. I am begging you to allow an awakening in the churches in this country as we remember the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way we've experienced it. And may we represent you that way. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to continue to wrestle through this conversation, practically asking, okay, what does that look like? So we start with compassion and then what? Because compassion always leads to action. And we want to process that together. Thanks so much for being a part of this conversation. We'll see you next time.